0: Well, good morning. My name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad you're with us this Easter morning. Uh, It is good to be together, and uh, if you're a first-time guest, or if you're a guest here because you're visiting family for Easter, we really are glad that you're with us and just want to say a special welcome to you uh, this morning. I love Easter Sunday. I love celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is what we should do every day, but in particular on Easter Sunday Uh, We focus on the resurrection of Jesus. And I have to say that I believe many of us are better, if we are Christians, at understanding the cross of Jesus uh, and believing the cross and what it does than we are at celebrating and understanding the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, We've been in a series in the book of Acts, if you've been here, for the past few months, and we're going to continue in that series through the end of May. Uh, But this morning, I wanted to step out of the book of Acts uh, and open God's word to an Old Testament passage. It's a passage that has long been important to me, and it's a passage I hope and pray that God will use in all of our lives this morning. We're going to look at the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet to Israel during their exile. Uh, God's people, the nation of Israel, were taken to Babylon as a part of God's judgment uh, because of their sin and their rebellion. And the entire book of Ezekiel is a collection of different prophecies. And Ezekiel uses visions to communicate to Israel while they are in exile, which makes the book of Ezekiel difficult for many to interpret and understand. So Ezekiel's visionary writing, it requires us, the reader, to have an imagination. Which I think children are probably a little bit better at than us adults. I think that's why children for years have loved C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia and Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Children can read and know that symbols have meaning, that not everything is taken literal, but everything has purpose. In the end of the book of Ezekiel, there's a transition that happens. The very first two-thirds of the book, it's a prof- there are prophecy after prophecies of judgment. And then there's the shift to a proclamation of the restoration uh, from exile. And our passage this morning, Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14, begins that shift. The proclamation of restoration for a people who are in exile. And it's a vision. It's a vision of death to life. A vision of death to purpose. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as I read Ezekiel 37, 1-14. And this is God's word to us this Easter morning. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and i will lay sinews upon you and you will cause flesh to and i will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that i am the lord so i prophesied as i was commanded and as i prophesied there was a sound and behold a rattling and the bones came together bone to its bone and i looked and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them then he said to me prophesy to the breath and I will do it, declares the Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's Word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I ask that this morning you would breathe and raise us up. Breathe life into us. Holy Spirit, would you come now by the power of the Word of God and the power of the Spirit, would you raise us up and give us new life this morning? May we see the life that we have in Christ May we go from death to life, death to purpose. God, may we be Your people, a redeemed, resurrected people. It's in Your name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, there are two prevailing thoughts or modes of thought in our culture that the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, responds to or or answers from our passage this morning. Uh, But there's one other thought that some of you might have this morning that I think many have in our culture today about the resurrection that I quickly want to make a caveat about before I address the major or two that I want to look at this morning. And the caveat that I want to address is this thought, that the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen. This has been a rising belief over the past few uh, hundreds of years. And there have been a lot of explanations that have been used to explain away the actual bodily resurrection of Christ. And if you're here this morning and you doubt the resurrection, you do not consider yourself a Christian, uh, we are really glad you're with us. We are glad you're here at Christ Central. But I have to start by stating that Christianity is and was a movement based on the actual resurrection of Jesus Christ. The way that the early church reordered their lives, the way that the early church came together and lived with a renewed purpose is explained by an actual belief and trust in Christ's resurrection. And I also say that all forms of early Christianity, if you were to look at the history of early Christianity, all forms affirmed the actual resurrection. There was no early form of Christianity that did not affirm it. So Christianity's history and its mission is anchored in the resurrection of Jesus, the actual resurrection of Jesus. But let me address two prevailing modes of thinking, two things that I want us to look at this morning. The first mode or functioning that happens in our culture that I want to address, that I think our passage responds to and answers is this, that life is lived by avoiding death. Life is lived by avoiding death. Now, if you have been around people from other cultures, or if you yourself are from another culture, if you've traveled globally, then you know different cultures deal with death in different ways. Grieving looks different. Remembering the dead looks different. I think in our culture, the prevailing way of functioning is that death is just not addressed. It's just not talked about. And if it is addressed, it's addressed in some graphic, news-driven way that highlights the shooting of a person or the stabbing of a high school senior like this past week at Jordan High School or the beheading of Christians by ISIS. If it is addressed, it's addressed in some graphic, movie-driven way that highlights terror and fear. Mostly, we are a culture uncomfortable with death. We don't like to talk about it, read about it, and when we face death in some way, we find ourselves not knowing what to do or what to say. I can remember being a younger minister in seminary, and a man who had been battling brain cancer in our church died. And the funeral service was held at our church, and I was nervous and anxious because in my family, the Mason family, we did not process death, talk about death if it occurred with people that we knew. And so I was anxious. I was uncomfortable. Here I am, a minister of the gospel, supposed to be a comfort in the midst of death, and I am anxious. So they're on their way to the church, and I'm going to meet the family outside and usher them in for the service. The wife and the children step out of the car, and you know what the first sentence out of my mouth was? the question how are you doing how are you doing what kind of question is that what kind of question how are you doing they were doing awful their husband and their father had just died but i'm so anxious and uncomfortable and i just blurt out How, how are you doing we get uncomfortable And we avoid the discussion of others' deaths and even our own dying. I've heard many people and even Christians say in regards to death, I've made peace with death. I've made peace that death will happen. Well, it's good to know that death will happen, right? I don't think anybody in here would question that it is inevitable for all of us to die. We will all die. No one disputes that. But the Scriptures are very clear. That our God is not a God who makes peace with death. The Gospel of Jesus Christ is not a Gospel that makes peace with death. The God of the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ makes war with death. The refrain throughout Scripture in regards to death is that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Death is never okay. And our God does something about it. The prophet Ezekiel is taken by the hand. He's taken by the the Spirit of the Lord into this valley in verse 1 and he has a vision placed in the middle of a valley and it's a valley full of dry bones. It's a valley of bones. I I don't know if you remember that old spiritual song, dim bones, dim bones, dim dry bones. Remember that? This is a valley full of bones. And then verse 11 gives clarity to what these bones symbolize. Verse 11 says that they're the whole house of Israel that are in exile, cut off from the Lord. And then verse 12 gives a different metaphor besides dry bones. Verse 12 gives the metaphor of graves. And what's in a grave? Death. This is a clear vision of death. Bones that have been bleached by the sun, picked at by wild animals, a cemetery full of dead bodies. But let's look further to understand this death. It says in verse 11 that Israel is cut off from the Lord. That's covenantal language. That's covenantal language. The Israelites in exile, they recognize that they are guilty of violating the terms of God's covenant. They're under His righteous condemnation, therefore they are cut off. Now, we have to know a little bit of the Bible to understand that the nation of Israel here in Ezekiel, they were not the first exiles. The first exiles occur in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, guilty of violating God's terms, covenantal terms, and what were the terms in the garden? You can enjoy everything except don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they disobeyed. And they were exiled from the garden, cut off from God's presence. And as a result of their sin, death entered, to the, entered the created world. Physical death. All of humanity will stop breathing and go to a grave. And spiritual death. All of humanity is born separated, cut off from God. So this vision of Israel, it mirrors the reality of humanity. All of humanity is under the curse of physical and spiritual death. Dim bones, dry bones, graves full of death is the truth of humanity. Physical and spiritual. And it's a truth that we don't like talking about. We don't like talking about either physical or spiritual death. But to be faithful to present the full gospel, I have to. We must begin with man's true condition that apart from Jesus Christ, we are dead in our sins. Ephesians 2.1 You see, humanity's real problem is not economic. It's not political. It's, it's not a need for more education. It's not a need for more technology. The real problem is is that we are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, therefore born into death, separated from God, and we will all one day physically die because of sin. And that truth does not necessarily win you friends and influence people. (laughs) This is something we just don't like talking about. We like to avoid it. And in many Christian circles, the truth of spiritual death is being talked about less and less. Let's not talk about sin and death. Let's talk about how God is a God of love. That's becoming more and more prominent. And that is true. Our God is a God who has a love that is high and wide and deep. That love is seen by what our God was willing to do for us because of death. Because of physical death and spiritual death being the reality of humanity. Our God had to do something about it, so He sent His only Son, Jesus, who would go through physical death on the cross and spiritual death, separated from His Father. God was so passionate for you that He gave His only Son unto death. So as Christians, we dim the light of God's love if we do not talk about how God declared war on death. That God has never been okay with death and will never be okay with it. so The love of Christ and the gospel it has been referenced to as a diamond. And like any good jeweler, any of you who have shopped for diamonds before, a good jeweler who wants to show you the beauty and the brilliance of a diamond, they will always hold it against the backdrop of a black cloth. Right? So the beauty... And the brilliance of God's love is mostly seen when held against the backdrop of death because of our sin. Death. This is not the way it's supposed to be. So Jesus did something about it. And in our passage, God does something about it. This valley of death, people who find themselves cut off, God tells Ezekiel to prophesy. To speak the words of God. And he speaks God's Word in verse 7. And then there was a rattling of bones. (laughs) Love it. Something that Hollywood would try to depict, but I don't know if they could. This rattling of bones, and the bones come together, sinews on the bone, the flesh covers the bone. But then that's not the end. Ezekiel prophesies a second time in verse 9. It says, prophesy to the breath spoke God's word, breath came into them, and they lived. Ezekiel is prophesying, catch this, to Israel in the exile. They would have known Genesis, which I've already referenced, and they would have known Genesis chapter 2, the creation account. And in Genesis chapter 2, God created man and woman, forming them from dust. He formed them together, which was the first stage And then the second stage of creation was that God breathed life into them and they lived. So what Ezekiel is doing in this vision is the two-stage recreating of God's people. I'm not sure if any of you are big like rerun people. Do any of you like to watch reruns of TV shows or reruns of movies? Some of you. I'm not a huge rerun guy, but one thing about watching reruns... Is that if you do, you are reminded about the plot or the storyline or the narrative that maybe you forgot? And the vision in chapter 37 in Ezekiel is a rerun of Genesis 2 for Israel. God is reminding them He's the Creator God who can form and breathe life into something made from nothing. He can take Israel in exile, cut off dry bones, and form them and breathe life into them, bringing life from death. Which means He can do this for you. And He can do it for your family. And He can do it for your neighbors. And He can do it for your co-workers. God is in the business of bringing life from death. He makes war on death. And let me tell you what this does for us as Christians. As Christians, it means that we don't need to avoid talking about death. Christians should, of all people, be the ones who talk about it and grieve the worst. We should be the people who see death and we weep and we wail and we cry out, this is not the way it's supposed to be. We allow ourselves room for weeping for grief, and we give room for others to grieve and weep. And we do not rush too quickly to make peace with death. We mourn because it's not the way it's supposed to be. Cancer is not okay. Murder is not okay. A car wreck is not okay. A stroke is not okay. Death is not okay. Yet, we have hope That the grave is not the final word for those who trust in Jesus. For He will, verse 13, open the graves and raise His people from the dead into life eternal. We should not avoid talking about spiritual death. To understand God's love in Christ, we must understand that we were dead or we are dead because of our sin. And I know that may not settle well with some of you who are here. And if that is you, you don't like the way that even sounds, I'd love to talk about that with you and why that's the case. But I would not be presenting the full gospel if I did not talk about this type of death, spiritual death, and the need that all of us have to be recreated and given life by faith in Jesus. Did did you catch the way God created life in the Valley of Dry Bones? By His Word and by His Spirit. We've we've seen this in Acts in our series. The Word and the Spirit cause the rattling of these bones to join and to live. They are the two weapons that God uses to wage war on death. God's Word, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Judges thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Do you spend time in God's Word and allow it to be the penetrating sword to reveal your sin and ultimately lead you to the Savior who forgives you of that sin? And then God's Spirit, God's Spirit, after Jesus resurrected in John chapter 20, He walked into a locked room, calls His disciples over, and what does Jesus do? He breathes on them. And then he says, receive my spirit. And I have to believe he had Ezekiel 37 in the back of his mind. Where spirit, wind, breath, used seven times in our passage, are all the same Hebrew word, ruah. Ruah, which God uses, His spirit, His breath, to bring life, and Jesus is breathing his Holy Spirit into his disciples and saying, live by this resurrected life. And he gives us, the church, the same spirit to live by the same resurrection power. See, the resurrection shows us that that it addresses death. And we can talk about it, and we can grieve, and then we have hope in the midst of it. But it also addresses another mode of thinking or functioning that is prevalent today in our culture, and it's this. Life is filled with boredom and meaninglessness. Life is filled with boredom and meaninglessness. Now before you discount me too quickly, let me explain my statement. I would put money that we live in a time and a place more than ever where we're filled with people who are filled with emptiness and purposelessness. Working as a campus minister for five years at UNC Chapel Hill, I could count over 100 times easy, 100 times that I had a conversation with a student who was trying to figure out what they wanted to do with their life as a job. And the consistent thing that a student would tell me, I want to do something that I love. I want to do something that I love. Now, maybe that's because they took Steve Jobs' advice to as he spoke to the Stanford graduating class of 2005 when he told them the only way to do great work is to love what you do. And if you haven't found it yet, keep looking, don't settle. That's what he told them. And as a result, I have seen many, including myself, who struggle with this, I don't want to settle. I don't want to settle. And so it breeds discontent and a view that you're only doing something meaningful if you are loving what you're doing. As a result, there's an emptiness that many experience, seen in boredom with life, boredom with my job, boredom with the city that I'm living in, boredom with the car that I drive, that I drive, or boredom with the clothes that I wear. And there's this pursuit to fill that emptiness and that boredom. So we get bored, and we just want to do what we love. And we live in a day right now where it's easy. We have accessibility to find a new job, to move to a new place, go on a vacation, buy some new clothes. We can find something that we love for a moment. And then it goes away. And we're bored again. So we try new things. We buy new things. We seek thrills in some new way through money, through travel, through technology, through drugs, through sex. Listen. The resurrection gives meaning and purpose and hope to everything that we do. To everything. The resurrection is not just about what happens after death. It's about the way we live right now. And I think that's why we talk more about the cross than we do resurrection. We think the cross has more impact on us now than the resurrection does. But the resurrection of Jesus, thus our promise of resurrection, impacts everything. It impacts the ordinary and the mundane of our life to the extraordinary and the spectacular. As these dry bones rattle and they come to life, look at verse 10. It says, they lived, stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then in verse 14, God says, I will put my spirit within you. And you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Two things that are true about this resurrection that answers our boredom. We are resurrected in order to know the Lord, and we're resurrected in order to be on mission. So the Lord was recreating Israel here in exile, remember? Humanity's recreation is a restoring of what was lost in Genesis. And two things that were lost and impacted and Genesis was humanity's relationship with God and humanity's relationship with the world. And the resurrection restores both of these. Let's look at the relationship with God being restored through resurrection. The Creator God restores us to what was lost in the garden. And if you've read Genesis' account, what's true of Adam and Eve in the garden with God, in their relationship with God? They're walking with God in the cool of the day. They're just enjoying God in the moment to moment, day in, day out. They are knowing their God, right? it's true. And I love what J.I. Packer said in his book, Knowing God. He says this, what were we made for? What aim should we set ourselves in life? What is the best thing in life bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? The answer to all these questions is the same. Knowing God. Knowing God. So we are brought back into a relationship with God through resurrection and relationship with Christ so that we can know God. Repeated multiple times to know the Lord. So that we can know God in the sight of a sunset and in the laughter of a child and the growth of a child and the planting of a flower and the listening to a song and the playing of an instrument. In a crowd full of faces, we get to know God. We also know Him and His salvation specifically through His Word. And in the fellowship with other believers. And in the worship with other believers like we do on the Lord's Day and we did on Thursday and Friday. And so listen, when we get bored, when we get bored or we're escaping, trying to escape this world This is the truth. We are not aware at that moment that we've been brought back into relationship with the Creator who makes Himself known in the book of creation and in the book of the Bible. We forget that. Listen again to Packer. This is a long quote, but I think it's worth it. Try to track with me. It says, Once you become aware that the main business you are here for is to know God Most of life's problems fall into place on their own accord. The world today is full of sufferers from the wasting disease known as absurdism, which means life's just a bad joke. And from the complaint, nothing tastes. These disorders blight the whole of life. Everything becomes at once a problem and a bore because nothing seems worthwhile. What makes life worthwhile, he says, is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this, the Christian, has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? Life is not meaningless, and it's not boring. Through Christ and this rising to new life, we are brought back into relationship with the God who created the world. He's recreated us to know Him in everything. Are our eyes open? Are our ears listening? Are our hearts connected to Him? The second thing true about the resurrection that answers our boredom is that the relationship with the world is restored. Adam and Eve in the garden had rule and dominion over creation. Sin enters into the world and there's brokenness between humanity and the created world and therefore work is hard. Things don't go the way they should. There's destruction where there should be beauty. There is injustice where there should be justice. And the brokenness of this world can make life feel meaningless. If you've ever asked, I've asked before, what's the purpose of what I'm doing? Why why am I even doing this? Does it really matter Verse 10, breath was breathed into the dry bones and they came to life and they stood an exceedingly great army. I was raised in a military family. And one thing I realized quickly with a father who was in the army and a mother who worked on the military base is that you go about your task and your duties with purpose. And you go about it not just for the task at hand, but to serve the greater community that you were serving with and for the ultimate aim of protecting the country. See, God breathes life. And in this resurrection, He raises an army, a people, a church who are to be carrying out God's purposes in this world, working for the good of the community of our city, for the ultimate aim of God's glory in the whole world. Which means No matter what your job is, it has purpose. You are working to bring glory to God in how you work and in your work. If you're a stay-at-home parent, there is great purpose for raising your children. What greater responsibility is there? And wherever you live, wherever you live, God has called you to be there because you are there, so you can know God's called you to be there. (laughs) And He's called you to live with purpose where you are to love your neighbor to be the hands and the feet of jesus where you are see i don't care who you are where you live or what you do if you are a christian god has you there for his purposes for his glory and that's not boring we are part of an army that's marching forward see the resurrection impacts everything It reorders our lives, our vocation, our relationship, and it gives meaning to everything. The question is, do we live as resurrection Christians? Do we view life through resurrection eyes? Because death is not the end, it does not have the final word, and it's not okay, or God is doing something about it. And life is not boring, it's exciting. We're moving forward in this movement of God's kingdom We should not get bored and look to escape it, but rather we press in to know the Lord in all that we do and to make the Lord known in all that we do as we march forward as His army with hope and meaning and purpose. And look at the confidence, church, that we have in our resurrection Lord, the one who overcomes death and boredom. Look at verse 3. God asked Ezekiel, Can these bones live? Ezekiel, can these bones live? And I love Ezekiel's response. Oh, Lord God, you know. That's the appropriate response. Oh, Lord God, you know. Ezekiel can't make it happen. Christ Central Church, we can't make it happen. The Sovereign Lord is the one who can make it happen. He's the one that has the power to bring life to dry bones, to bring life out of death. He's the one who is able. And then... In verse 14, God says, I will do it, declares the Lord. I will do it. The resurrection is a sure thing because our God promises. He he promises that He will do it. So we go forward with hope, with meaning, and with purpose, and the confidence of our God trusting Him, who will bring life from death, purpose out of boredom, And it's this resurrection power at work in Ezekiel 37 that was the resurrection power that raised the Lord Jesus from the dead in which the Lord Jesus has told us the same resurrection power that is at work within us today. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? I pray that we do and that we will more and more every day. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would help us to to believe that you're the Lord of the resurrection. That right now you would breathe life into us. That you would give us purpose in all that we do. God, we are a part of something exciting in the kingdom of God. And that we get to know our God in all that we do. Wake us up, we pray. From our slumber, may we not be some sleeping giant. The American church, so large in the world. May we not be a sleeping giant. But would you wake us up and use us in Durham and around the world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.